It's so good. You can't make it at home. That's why. You can't make Chinese food. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't t- it's the only thing you can't make at home that tastes delicious in the restaurant. You ever try making it at home? Sucks. It's worst, you know? I don't know what kind of ancient Asian ingredients they put in that to make it taste good. Like the whiskers of a dragon. Or the soul of a dead baby girl. I don't know what they put in that Is that what MSG stands for? The murdered souls of girls? Maybe. I don't know. It's delicious. More dead girls in my Chinese food. I love it. And what's happening, everybody? Welcome on into the Check Your Brain podcast, wherever you are watching or listening to this. It's when I say listening, it's on the major podcast platforms, the iHeartRadios, the Spotify's, the Apple podcast, Podbean, everything like that. And I'm also on YouTube. I'm on Rumble and on Patreon. If you like this episode and you want to hear more of my nonsense, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur for just not five bucks, but three bucks a month. So that's his... So for all you people who send out all these super chats, you know, $10 super chats, you could either maybe have Kevin Brennan say your chat once, or you get a month's worth of content. Actually, three months worth of content for that. So I'm just kidding. Go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. My name is Tony Mazer, and hi, everybody. Joining me is somebody I've been on his show a number of times. He's been on mine about, uh, I think it was October of 22. Wanted to have you back on, but I had you back on. You had me on so many times. I'm like, well, it seems like we're always just talking. One of these days, I'll have to bring you up on my podcast. And sure enough, I have a reason to. We're going to talk about the weekend, but he's a comedian. He's an actor. He's a podcaster. His name is Anthony Zenhauser. What's going on, man? Hey, nice for having me, man. Always a pleasure. And yes, you're an ongoing guest on the show that I do that's been kind of sporadic lately, but late again, Zen, which you're great on it. You have a great radio personality and Chad believes in you, so I believe in you. Yeah, why not? At least somebody has to. Stevie Lou doesn't, who uh, apparently called me, uh, let's see, uh, called Chad and I two Cleveland dickhead losers today. (laughs) Well, that was very smart. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get we'll get we'll get into the Stevie Luniverse here in a little bit and everything else. But before we get into the plugs and uh, what we'll just talk about and have BS for the first uh, little bit, I have to get your thoughts on a recent story. Since this podcast, we're recording this Tuesday and it's going out tomorrow. It's going out Wednesday, uh, w- which would be January tenth. This story is just hilarious. <laughs> yes. So for folks watching, uh, you can see the screenshot right now. This is a story that erupted literally over the last couple of days uh, since Monday. Orthodox Jews occupy illegal tunnel in New York synagogue to stop its closure. And the first video I thought that, that popped up was a uh, was a was a Hasidic Jew, I believe, and it was crawling out of a sewer. And I'm just thinking, like, my God, the, the stereotypes in the last three months right now. <laughs> what what's going on here? Well, you know, what they say about stereotypes is that. You know, there's always a little truth behind them. Uh, I'm just seeing them crawl out of sewers and sewer grates. And I'm thinking, you're not doing yourself any favors right now. Is this a prank? Is this a bit? Is this AI? I had no idea at the beginning. And sure enough, it was even more bizarre. I don't know much about the world the world of the uh, Hasidic Jews. I know that uh, in New York City, anyway, I'm not sure how it is in, in your neck of the woods, but uh, Hasidic Jews really don't live by the standards and practices of everybody else. They're kind of not above the law, but they're like on the side of it. You know, like they live, they have their own sense of law. They have their own sense of uh, community. 
they don't really let a lot of other people in. It's not really a lot of strangers coming into their community. So they just pretty much do what they want. You know, I mean, they, they have this sort of uh, sense of entitlement that they just do whatever they want. And then if they get busted for it and uh, also that was prevalent during uh, the, the lockdown, they weren't locking down. They, the, the city couldn't stop them. They would just get together in big droves and uh, celebrate or march, do whatever they were doing. And we don't even know if if COVID was a, a real thing with with um, all those numbers in the hospital. But what happened to all the Jews? What happened to all the Jews that all got together? They just they, they didn't show up. There's like an elephant graveyard for Hasidic Jews where they just went and nobody knows where they are. Who knows? But I, I love I love the tunnels. I mean, so apparently the story is that there was another center that they were creating tunnels to go back and forth and everything. And somebody made a, a mention that, oh, that was just because of COVID that they can get around. No, no, no. These were built in the last six months. They had nothing to do with COVID. No, uh, nothing. To do with so we're wondering why, why the tunnels? Ask, you know, next time you see Shuli and, and Bob Lee, actually, your whole shows have a bunch of Jews on there. Why don't you ask Shuli? Is, is he a part of this? Is, is that him right there? No, that that just looks like him because they all look alike. But no, but, but in seriousness, um, no, there's all, you know, there's different kinds of Jews. There's the ones, there's the regular Jews, the day walkers, I call them, who get around in regular <laughs> society. And then there's the ones that piss off the, the day walkers, which are the Orthodox Jews, the ones that are super. These are the super Orthodox. There's also regular Jews who are very, um, you know, they uh, celebrate all the 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 laws and and uh, uh holidays of hashem but then there's like the super like these are the quakers of the jews you know like the the orthodox are the hardcore jews and these guys just do whatever they want they have their own communities of just you know they they live their life separately from everybody else and no honestly no one's going to stop them from digging tunnels unless they get caught and they got caught that's and pretty much very how young. it works Look how young they they look in this video here. I mean, we're not talking about like 70, 80-year-old rabbis. You're talking about these are like teenagers in early 20s. So yeah. whoever said religion is lost on the young people. <laughs> well, I mean, they're this is they're indoctrinated into that um from childhood. That that's their life. They can't get away from it for the most part, you know, unless they escape. It's kind of like being Amish. Um, that's true. Yes, the rumspringer. Right. So they have well, they don't have a rumspringer for orthodox Jews. It's either you're in or you're not Jew. That's, that's how it works. So, Goy. Yeah, there's no like you can come back. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, in my, I mean, to my knowledge, I mean, you know, women are supposed to get married to the to Jewish men, the certain Orthodox Jewish men. They shave their heads when they get married, so they don't they don't um they don't look attractive to other men. You know, it's really it's the subject. It's it's one of those religions that. Is just like uh, any other religion, like the Muslim religion, if it's if it's fundamentalist, you know, any uh, Amish and are fundamentalist Christians, and uh, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, are very strict as well. Well, I don't, if... I, don't, I don't, I don't really know much about them, but I do know is one time I was working over the summer at a place, and um, the, a rabbi came up to me, an Orthodox rabbi, and he said, "Excuse me, sir." He's like. It's raining outside. Is it possible if we can come inside and uh, pray a little bit? You know, like I guess they were in a in a bus and they were traveling. Which I mean, they they travel around in big buses over the summer, 
that go on pilgrimages. I said, okay. All of a sudden, 150 Jews walked in. Sounds like a bad joke. Really 150 does. Jews walked in, and they just started singing and dancing and screaming like it was a. It was like a jubilee. It wasn't like sitting down and praying and staying out. <laughs> there you of, go. It's just uh, it might be a survival method that these people have to kind of get things, you know, like in order to kind of they, they're just so used to trying to take chances and and you know, uh, kind of almost conning people so they can get around and do things, but. I mean, it was hilarious. I mean, if you you turn around and there's and the whole uh, it was a whole park center just filled with Orthodox Jews just having this crazy. It was like a cult. It was like a cultural tribal. They were all screaming and dancing. It was nice. It, it was, was a it was, jubilee. It was a jubilee, right? It really is that? Well, like you said, there, there, there is an old joke about that. That uh, the priest goes into a, a barber shop, gets his hair cut, and says, "What do I owe you?" It says, "I don't charge men of the cloth." So the next day, the barber comes in, finds some really nice chocolate. Then the next day, a minister comes in, and says, oh, "What do I owe you for the haircut?" He says, "I don't charge men of the cloth." And then next day, it's a fine bottle of wine. And then a rabbi comes in, gets his haircut. What do I charge? I don't charge men of the cloth. Next thing you know, six rabbis are there the next day. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the reward. So it's you know they're nice people, but you know the thing is, it's about opportunity. Like you give people an opportunity to get something for nothing. You know that's that's certain people are famous for for taking advantage of that. And you go, oh, these these people. Well, but, if you want to see you know, somebody of the if of the Hebrew faith, you can go to a couple of couple of places this weekend. You have Laugh It Up Comedy in Poughkeepsie and the Dojo of Comedy in Morris Plains, New Jersey, featuring Anthony Zanhauser, oh. Shuley. You have Bob Levy and oh, little Mike Morse is behind you there. Yeah, I think Mike Morse did that. I think that that this was his uh, his poster. But yeah, it's it's a it's a, we're doing a little tour. Right now we're covering uh, New Jersey and New York, and uh, we'll be back in March in Pennsylvania. But right now, get those tickets now for Laugh It Up in Poughkeepsie and uh, Morris Plains. It's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. We're all going to be there. We're all going to have fun. So I had an opportunity to see basically this show without you, unfortunately. You and Pat Dixon weren't able to make it, but I went to go to Pottstown last year in May. And uh, seeing the, well, it's it's the BS show, but it's also the Uncle Rico show. And uh, since then, you've been on as essentially like not only a frequent guest, but like a, a resident co-host, right? Well, on the BS show, I'm I'm actually part of the show now. I'm I'm the fourth mic. They decided to bring me into the club, and I've been there for since about four months since September, going on five. And uh, you know, it's a morning show that we're kind of. We're pushing it to be the main show. So at some point, all this other stuff is going to go away when people stop uh, finding it amusing. So it might be a few years. <laughs> uh, making fun of people is fun. You know, it's a lot of fun. Like the Stuttering John stuff, the Uncle Rico show, it's a lot of fun. I've been jumping more on that as well. Uh, yeah, it's great to be a part of it. You know, they're, we're having a lot of fun. We're doing a lot of writing. We're doing a lot of, uh, we write bits. We we're we're trying to we're trying to make an uh, we're trying to make a morning show, like old school radio morning show. Yeah, and I, and I watch you guys. You, you know, you guys have the the music and everything, and uh, mm -hmm. I, I check it out when I can. Uh, I didn't this morning because I woke up at ten thirty, but <laughs> right, I'm on a juice cleanse, which is basically this is a liquid carrot. It's like when Bugs Bunny would go to a juicer and just put a bunch of carrots in and drink that. That's essentially what this is right now. I know, it sounds uh, horrible. 
it's awful. But uh, I, because I can't balance fast food and drinking uh, that well, I have to give myself a little bit of dry January, which is what I'm doing now. So if I were to show up at a comedy club right now, this is about as alcoholic as I'm going to get right now, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm, guessing that, I'm guessing that juice cleanse is responsible for that mustache. Well, it's it's well, it's different from what they were doing in the tunnels because that was the Jews cleanse. <laughs> the Jews cleanse, yeah. Well, that yeah. was Germany, nineteen forty-one. That was the, Jew, the real Jews <laughs> cleanse. But yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, no. If I my mustache has to be a little bit, a little bit uh, tighter, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. On on the east and western fronts, you got to get them together. That's right. And, it's got uh, it's yeah. got to they got to come a little bit closer. But you can't even pull that off anyway. You do, it doesn't meet in the middle properly. You know, you have the same. You have. We don't have the right mustaches for that because mine has a little part in the. They call that the cherub. The cherub is that what it is? is? I don't know, but but if I thought if it was you, from all the cocaine, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, live your life, you know, YOLO. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that and again, that was an easy upkeep that mustache, and we really ruined that. You know, let's let's be honest. We should bring. Yeah, that I back. think I think we need to bring it back. I think now that the uh, the narratives are changing, uh, it's a different world right now since ten seven. So I think the we should have different facial hair for the times. <laughs> but when will it be okay? Like we AIDS is okay to make fun of. It's been twenty years. Don't you think that it's okay? Like when people were still remembering Hitler after all these years, nobody is alive who actually knew Hitler. But like, my, it's Michael- just. Well, yeah. Well, Michael Jordan tried bringing back the mustache. Remember him on those uh, Hanes commercials? He's on the airplane asking people about their underwear, and he's got yeah. the he's got the mustache. And I'm just like, ah, man, I, I you may be the greatest basketball player in the world, but everything else he touches, it didn't really work out. So I, I, I don't think I trust you with the mustache. Baseball didn't really work out. He was not bad at golf, but yeah, being Hitler, not that great. But I mentioned I was I'm on this juice cleanse, so it. It kind of is a transition into what I want to talk about right now is mm-hmm. Stuttering John. So okay. Stuttering John, if he's doing a podcast, he's not doing a juice cleanse. He's no. cleansing with Coors Light. Skull! Mm-hmm. So maybe a better question to ask Levy and Shuley, because they did work with him on the Howard Stern show back mm-hmm. in the day, or at least were around the Howard Stern show when he was in this this universe. But why is this whole Stuttering John? And I, I could probably give an answer too, but... Why is this stuttering John stuff so attractive to a lot of people? Why is he so universally hated by everybody? It's a good question. I I never knew him personally either, um, but I watched the Stern show growing up, and uh, I was a big fan, and I knew of stuttering John, and I was there during all the stories. And throughout the entire history of his of his tenure at the Stern show, it was it was always the same story. It was. John, you're taking advantage of this guy. John, you're not paying for this. John, you didn't, you, uh, you know, you bailed on this. John, you're late. John, you're an idiot. John, you're stupid. And you're like, this poor guy, all he's trying to do is his job. And he's, and you know, you start thinking, you start sympathizing for this guy. And then these, and then Shuli and Carl and all these people started coming along in the dabble verse to really analyze this guy. And you watch him and you go, wow, like this guy is a piece of shit like you, you you the way the way that all these shows are are watching him it feels like you know him because every day to day you're with him every day so it's kind of like he's your co-worker so if this guy was coming to work every day sitting next to you do you really know him well you know what you know of him from what he shows you every day and you're like oh 
you're drinking, you're, you're drinking at work. That's, that's, first of all, that's very unprofessional. You know, there's so many things that he does. You see him in past videos of him working on real other real radio shows or working at other jobs, how he left the Stern show. That was kind of shitty. You know, just, this is the guy who doesn't do anything and has no respect for anybody else but himself. You know, he just, it's a very selfish, it's a very narcissistic thing uh, to, you know, to do the things that he did to, to both Howard Stern to uh, imagine what he was like on the tonight show. He didn't, that job didn't last very long. Uh, so you got to wonder like, what's is what's the, what's the common denominator? It's him. It really is. And it, we've seen this in when you do stand up comedy is that there's certain comics who think they're entitled to the green room. They're entitled to going up at a certain time. They're entitled to free drinks. They will walk out on tabs. And that's who John is. And right. it's funny when you said that you had a little sympathy back in the day listening to John. You're like, oh, this seems like a pile on. I kind of didn't because I remembered when I was a kid. I shouldn't have been watching this, but I came across a video. It was a, it was a recorded video. No, no, no. It was actual, an actual tape. I was thinking of something else. It was Howard Stern's Butt Bongo Fiesta. Oh, yeah. And it, you know, it aptly named because they have, they bring girls on the stage and they play bongos on their, their, their buttocks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then there's other skits that were involved. And one of them is they filmed, when uh, the zookeeper, John DeBella, when his morning show dropped to number two and Howard Stern took him over in Philadelphia, they had this whole thing in Philly where we're going up to the hotel. We've got Jackie. We've got Fred, everybody. And they had Jessica Hahn with them. And of course, Jessica Hahn was the, known as the you know, wasn't she like the, the mistress who took down. Uh, was it Jim Baker? Jim Baker. Jim Baker. Yeah. So Jim Baker. So. Uh, uh, Jessica Hahn is in a bathtub and they threw stuttering John in the tub with his underwear and socks. And it's just black water because he doesn't wash himself properly. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and then there were a bunch of other things over the years with stuttering John culminating to the point where he gets AJ Benza thrown off of the show over a fight that stuttering John started. Because he was making fun of him that AJ Benza's show had gotten canceled or something. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on team AJ Benza. And this was 2001. So here we are now. It's 2024. And now you have podcasts, including uh, most notably the Uncle Rico show that are ripping on Stuttering John. And like I said, I'm not usually up for a pile on, but my God, he really does bring it upon himself. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the thing that that, you know, it flows into what we're watching now. We're watching a guy who never learned anything from his actions as a, as a young man. He spent 15 years with Howard Stern. He didn't really learn anything from him. You're, you're getting the best education out of broadcasting, but you can see that this guy was always about getting drunk, uh, goofing off, uh, getting in trouble, taking liberties. I mean, there's so many episodes from the E show and uh, from the radio show in general, where you see him taking advantage of, uh, you know, people who call into the to the show, getting stock tips, uh, you know, putting charging his hotel room money uh, when they go on trips. And he always had this entitlement, like, I'm part of the group. I'm like you guys. When in all honesty, he was really just a whack packer. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. He was a glorified whack packer who just showed up every day and made 30 grand a year or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, for New York City in those days, and it wasn't really that good. It's certainly not good now. Trust it's me, somebody worked in now. radio and made thirty grand long for way too long. 
Um, but it, it was fascinating because so when he decided he wanted to start doing stand up and he was mm-hmm. going around the country and doing a lot of non there's some comedy clubs and some B rooms and a lot of just like one nighter bar types. And uh, I, I would see if I could find this on Twitter, but I'm blocked by stuttering, John. I assume you are, too, right? Nope. Does, really? He, yeah, I'm for some reason I'm below the radar. Now, whether or not I'm going to be blocked for <laughs> the next month, I'm not sure. I take it day to day. Oh, yeah. It's it's just a matter of time, I would say. And I think it was about 2016. I had a booker reach out to me and say, hey, John's looking to do a John Melendez is looking to do a tour and he wants to come through Youngstown, Ohio. At, uh, I think it, I forgot what place it was called. It was it was a it was one of those places where the restaurant is upstairs and the bar slash comedy room is downstairs. Right. And I'm like, okay, yes, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, I remember stuttering John from the from the Howard Stern show. And then, the, let's say the date was February 10th, and I booked like a month out. I'm like, okay, great. So I'll wait a little bit so I can promote the gig. I'm not going to book a uh, or I'm not going to promote a gig for a, a month out. So I wait a little bit, and then we were starting to get to around Super Bowl time, let's say, and. It was like the week of, and I haven't seen anything promoted from it. So I reached out to the booker and said, hey, uh, what happened with this show? We're supposed to be doing a show this week. And they're like, yeah, they they had to cancel. That, that something, something happened. And so I reached out to Stuttering John, and I, I'm like, hey, uh, it was supposed to work with you over in uh, Youngstown or uh, Warren or Niles, Ohio. I forgot what it, what it was. What, he's like, I had some medical thing. I had something going on. Like, oh, okay. Found out uh, three tickets were sold total, which is not even one table. It's not even one table to see Stuttering John, and they couldn't justify it. But he has to make up an excuse instead of understanding that, John, the days of using Howard's name, long gone. By 2016, it's even worse by 2024. Although I think he may get more people if he does a live show now, but it's everybody's in the audience to goof on him as opposed to (laughs) but uh, you can't. How long are you going to use this credit, for God's sake? It's the it's the ultimate grasshopper versus the ant. You know, you you have an opportunity to listen. You know, in show business, certain things come up, and you get an opportunity to gain some success or some exposure. You have to take that as a stepping stone and just hit the fucking gas and do as much as you can. Try to do whatever you can with what you got so you keep on becoming more and more notable, successful. Uh, you know, do as much as you can when you have the spotlight on you because the spotlight doesn't last long. That being said, <laughs> he's the kind of guy who he had, he was on the, the most popular radio show in the world for 15 years plus. He has every opportunity to take what he learned or to take that sort of uh, exposure and make a make a career out of it. He he did he got the Tonight Show. Um, from there, he should have taken it and ran even harder. What happens when you are giving great opportunities and so much exposure? He went from Howard Stern to well NBC, right, a major broadcast channel making apparently $400,000 a year. How does you parlay that into nothing? How do you parlay that into a life of total downward spiral? Now, probably because you just never had any discipline. You never really did any real work. 
or you just were so much of a dick that nobody wants to give you any more opportunities because you squandered it all away. It's a fascinating thing to watch. It's like watching one of those movie uh, shows or uh, videos, I should say, where you see like an animal decay in, in fast time. Do you know what I mean? Like you oh, watch yeah. like a dead fox decay. You're like, this. we're watching this guy decay in real time. It's pretty fucking crazy. So I think that's part of the fascination too is watching somebody hit rock bottom who is just still so delusional where they're like, I'm great. I'm doing all, I'm, you, you know who I am. I'm a celebrity. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you might know me. You know, he's still, and all he has is 40, all he has is 30 years ago. That's, that's all he has is his past. And if you have to keep reminding people of who you are from, do you know who I used to be? Do you know I used to do this? I used to do that. You know how that works. It's like you see, you know that guy. He's now homeless on the street, you know, drunk. So it's Literally. like this is this is what you're watching. You're watching a guy who who got it all and lost it all. And what's more fascinating than that? Oh yeah. And it, it, what's what's interesting? And I will, I, I'm going to be fair to John. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. When you're on the number one show in the country and you are getting an opportunity to be on, he ends up being a guest on talk shows. He uh, didn't he do a, a music video that had Ron Jeremy in it, and there was all this other stuff he did going movies. on. Movies he did like B movies. He did a uh, national. He he made his own movie. The guy, you got to give credit to the guy. He fucking he tried. He tried. He really did. I think mm-hmm. there's a part of him that really tried. He tried to get a music career. He tried to to be a you know a movie star. He tried you know he did TV like he's got an impressive resume. You on paper you would be like oh this guy no what's he doing now? Yeah, he's drunk in a studio apartment by himself. Exactly. And it, w- what's interesting were those and you probably have come across a lot of these comics too. Is that there were some of them that peaked before the internet that peaked and, and then. As they're and they're like, I don't need a computer. Like, what what do I need IMDb for? What what right. what is this? And then all of a sudden, two thousand four, two thousand five, this rise of MySpace, this rise of social media. Then YouTube comes out. These comics are nowhere near. So when you go to some of these comedy clubs and you see the wall of different comics, you're like, I don't know three quarters of these people. Right. Where are they? Who are they still alive? Are they, I have no idea who these people are because they didn't keep up with it. And at least with John, John did have a resume in those times of doing more than just the Howard Stern show. His issue was once he was done with the Howard Stern show, that was it. That's all he had. He didn't mm-hmm. transition. He didn't become like a, a a club comic to say, hey, guys, you know, I, I know I was on the biggest radio show, but I'm I'm one of you. I'm just here at the comedy club. I'm performing. I'm grinding it out. I'm trying to uh, do what I can to get some material out there. Maybe, maybe do an hour. Maybe do something. Maybe put a special out. He never did that. All his stuff was before the internet. Well, the thing, he he was the guy who got it before he worked for it. Let's put it that way. You Correct. know, usually you have to pay your again, it's an ongoing joke, right? He calls Shuli the dues payer. <laughs> that's that's an ongoing joke, but in but ironically, he he didn't pay any dues to get to where he was. He got the biggest radio show in history on a lark because he had a stutter. And that's why he got hired. And what he could have did was he could have at that point, if he wanted to be a comedian, he had the opportunity to work as a comic to, to, to work on the, on, on his act. 
to be funnier, to hit the clubs every night, then go back to to work. But he was like, nah, I got it. You know, it's like, you know, as a stand-up comedian, you know how hard it is to get on stage in general, then also have a work on your act and also book gigs. It's very, very difficult, you know? I mean, people go, why don't you just book gigs here and there? Because this is an oversaturated business where everybody wants to be a stand-up comedian and it's really hard. You have to work really hard and make connections and, and it's a lifestyle. You have to commit. And when you don't commit, he calls himself a stand-up comedian just because you get on stage and you tell the same three jokes for 40 years doesn't exactly make you a professional stand-up comedian. You have to work at it like you would being a, a an, any artist, a blacksmith or uh, making pottery. Or you can't just get up one day and be like, oh, I'm a potter now. <laughs> and you go and you just you sit by a, an easel or a spinny thing with clay and you just make an abomination. You go, perfect. I can do this. Now I deserve to get paid because my father, you know, owns a, you, you're the biggest pottery shop in the, in the country. So now you have, you know, so now obviously that makes me one of the best potters. He really thinks he's like an established stand-up comedian where you, you, I've never seen him on the New York circuit. I've been doing it for 20 years almost. I've never seen him. I've, I've seen Shuli. I've seen Bob. I've seen Mike. Where was this guy? You know, I mean, we were all like in. I met Shuli in a club doing a roast battle. We just started working. We were working certain clubs together. We just got to know each other from working together. I knew he was on Howard Stern, but I mean, we got familiar through the circuit because we. I mean, we're comedians. You know, we write. We we do the best we can. We're not. We're not the most popular guys. You know, but we. Uh, I mean, I can do, I can, I can hold my own for 45 minutes on stage, whether you think it's funny or not, but uh, you know, we're always writing material. You're, you're a comedian. You know how it is. You know, you have to write material. You have to work at it. So where, where does this guy get off on thinking that he deserves to be on the same level as certain people like Artie Lang or Nick DiPaolo or Jim Florentine, just because you were able to take these guys on the road with you. That's only because you had the, 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 you know, you had the Howard Stern name to make it happen. Howard Stern brought these guys on, not you. Let's be honest. Yeah, and he's on a show with Jackie Martling. And for, for people who don't know, and yeah. for, whatever, for whatever reason, Jackie's not, uh, I've been trying to get him on my podcast. And he's like, oh, uh, ne uh, next week. And then won't, well, whatever. So he's unbelievable that, to watch on stage. He's great to watch on stage. But Jackie, for folks who don't know, uh, like you can go back to Red Fox and everything with recording albums, but. He had the he had the party records where you put them on, you put the kids to bed, and Red right. Fox talk about you got to wash your ass. Right. He would do all that stuff. Um, Jackie Martling was the first to have a merch table that after a show he would run off stage, go to the table near the door, and have a bunch of tapes of his stand up sets to, to sell. And all these comics are like, "What is he doing?" He's like, "I just made another five hundred dollars. What did you do?" And so he's on the same same show. Two seats away from Jackie Martling, who helped revolutionize the industry. And yet you're not going on stage. You're not doing any of this in New York. I mean, yeah. Jackie would talk about how many times he's doing gigs in Philadelphia, get done at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, then have a couple of drinks and then drive back to New York and be there in the morning for the Howard Stern show. That's what it was. It's yeah. a work ethic. It is a work ethic. And also John had the, John lives in California. John, why isn't he going to the to the comedy uh store every night 
why isn't he going to the Laugh Factory every night? If he's got if he's got the cachet, then why isn't he using it to get on stage and get good and do and make an hour and get that out? What's stopping him? What's stopping him from from being successful? He's got every opportunity. He had maybe he doesn't have it anymore, but he had every oppor- opportunity to be successful. You have the tools, right? You're a comedian. Go out, write an hour. Fucking work on it every day. You're not doing anything. You do a fucking you do a podcast for two hours in the morning. What are you doing with the rest of your fucking day? He's going. He's to just the bar. arguing. He's arguing with people on Twitter. I mean, if anything, yeah, he it, probably the reason it, that stops him from going to something like the Ha Ha Cafe is that uh, you, you have to pay five dollars for stage time. <laughs> right. like, go to the Ice House, but but he's a celebrity. He's like, but he's talking like, why isn't my name? In on the comedy store, you know how they they put your name in neon or they yeah, write the, it on the on yeah the, side? the signatures yeah the inclusive. Yeah, where's my well what dude? Nobody knows you as a comedian. That's the problem. You know, just call like, if he wasn't so delusional. Maybe it's mental illness. Maybe he maybe because of his alcoholism or maybe he had a some sort of an accident. Maybe he had strokes. Apparently, he had two strokes. That maybe maybe his. Maybe he has no sense of of uh, you know of ego. Maybe it's all gone. Maybe he has no sense of of rational thought, like Perry Garavello. Yeah, know? that's Maybe true. It's the brain injury. Well, that, the, so, the difference with Perry is that Perry is the real deal. He really right. is. Like he believes that he's still trying to be a star, and whatever goes on. So everyone's like, "Is is Perry in on, on the bit? Is this PCL? Like, is this Windy City Heat? Does he really think?" Yeah, he does. He does. This is what, even though, like, he can have some kind of little bit of reality, but he had a brain injury. He got hit by a car back in like what the seventies or the eighties, like the early, like the early eighties. Yeah, like he was, he was a fully functional adult. So it's, 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 that's when you get into the stuttering John stuff, where you say, "Is it? Are we punching down with this?" And then you go, "He was on the biggest radio show in the history of radio, in the history of the world." It's not really punching down if you're ripping on somebody like that. But I have noticed that, though. And I, it, for you doing clubs and being up there in Poughkeepsie, you guys get some good acts there that are coming up there. I'm assuming you've worked with the celebrities who aren't celebrities anymore, who are now doing comedy. <laughs> I worked with um, not a lot, to be honest with you. I mean, I had that, there was an opportunity to work with Jeremy Piven, I didn't work with him, but I've, I know people who did work with him. But there's guys out there. I mean, I, I worked with um the dude I got a Dell guy. He decided oh, to start doing. He's comedy. doing stand up. He was. I don't know if he's still doing it, but but there there seems to be this this uh this sort of uh connection that these guys have with stand up comedy. Like it, it seems to be like uh like oh I, I my comedy career or my my acting career is weaning, so let me start doing stand up. It's easy. You know, and this will be easy. You know, I have and and they get they they fill the seats because of their their you know credits and their stardom mm-hmm. and their exposure. But then you know how it is. You've seen these guys on stage. They're cruising for a few minutes. People are so happy to see them, and then they're like, "Okay, now where's the jokes?" And yeah, like, it's it, you get over it really quick. I noticed that. So in the last. Gosh, how how many? When did he die? 2020, 2021, uh, Screech. So oh, Dustin, Dustin Diamond. Diamond right? I, I got to know Dustin uh, and actually be friends with him for the last couple of years of his That's life. Cool. We, we worked together. We did a number of shows together. 
And the one thing about Dustin, when he would go on stage, you're talking about somebody that was on the biggest TV show for tweens and teens at the time, but he was also the, he was the antic character. He wasn't, uh, you know, you're, you're watching Mark Paul Gossler and Mario Lopez. And it's just like they're male models. And then you have this, uh, you have this guy who looks like he crawled out of a New York City tunnel. Right. He's well, <laughs> this is the best way to describe him. And, and so I would assume he got probably got some pussy at, at some time, but it sure. weighs on you, weighs on you mentally, knowing that every one of your cast members around you are just just drowning in it. And you're like, ah, oh, I got a look at as Artie Lang would say, I got pieces of shrapnel. Right. And uh, so he had that celebrity boxing thing that happened on Fox and he's facing Horshack. Horshack told him, don't hit him on the, in the face. And of course that's all he did is just punched him in the face is Horshack. Right. I don't know if he was closeted or if he was out as a gay man at that time, but it was, it was sad. It was sad to watch that, but uh, it, working with him where he wanted to have a normal life, he knew that he, the residuals from say by the bell weren't really there. So he had to go out on the road and he, he worked on it. So he would go on, he would go on stage. He would be screeched for the first minute. You go, Oh, oh, oh that's screech. And then he knew that he can't do that the whole show. He, he's he got 44 more minutes left. Is he still going to be doing screech stuff? No. After a minute, you go, okay, funny man, make me laugh. And he did a pretty good job. Was he the greatest comic in the world? No, of course not. Uh, but at least he worked on it. Another one, Todd Bridges, I worked with. Again, another one of those he knew exactly as, he, as soon as he goes on stage, everyone's going to yell, what you talking about, Willis? Right. And then he and then his response, his stock response every time is because he does. All right, let's hear it. And everybody in unison says it. And he says, I don't fucking know. And everyone right. gets a laugh. And then it's like, oh, now we're seeing Todd Bridges, stand up comedian right. and not Willis from different strokes. So some of them know how to break out of it. Others, boy, oof. But there's also people who have no sense of. They don't get it. Let's let's say let's call it it. When you don't get it, you have to be able to have a certain sense of humor. You have to be able to be to ha- to be funny, you know. And some people aren't funny. They just don't get. They don't get how to be. There's no wit. There's no, no. sense of comedic timing. There's no sense of joke writing or even storytelling. And John doesn't have any of that. No, like I'm like he. It's all lost on him, which is f- hilarious that he wants to be a stand-up comedian for some reason. Like, what? Why does he? Why did he gravitate towards stand-up comedy in the first place? Wasn't he wasn't hired to be a comedian on the on the on the Howard Stern show? Pretty much his his main job was being an intern and phone screener. Potatoes, phone screener. It was like doing the shit work, and he could have made a very comfortable living till today. Being that guy, walking around like Gary, like Gary Delabate. Gary Delabate is a huge, uh, important part of the of the Howard Stern show. He's a he's the producer. He's like Howard's right hand man. But he always knew where he, who he was. He always knew what his job was, and he just wrote it out. You know, he got his balls broken incessantly by Still everybody does. on the show. Still does by people who are way below him. Busting his balls. Hey, boy. Hey, Gary. How you doing, Gary? You know, for fucking 40 years, he's hearing that. But he laughs all the way to the bank when he goes home in his nice big Connecticut house, wherever the fuck he lives now. Same John with Fred. had all that. Yeah, but and Fred. But you know what? John bought a house with the Stern Show. 
Say what you want. And maybe he bought, maybe a lot of it was from doing stand-up comedy, but call it whatever you want to call it. You had Howard Stern, the Howard Stern brand behind you. When Shuley first en- stopped doing the Stern show, I was on the road with him when he, when he just stopped doing the Stern show. And, and this, was, was, this was a couple of years ago when they were doing it remotely, yeah, right? This was like during the pandemic. So he moved to Alabama. He was still kind of working with them, but he was on his way to transition out. Uh, we, we were working huge venues, making crazy money. Like I was making crazy money with him, you know, doing like fucking 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know. And then at some point, the people just stop coming because you're not a part of the show anymore so he had to rebuild himself pretty much so he still has he still has the chops as a comedian i mean he's a great comic he he knows how to be a comedian he's been doing it longer than he was on the stern show he started as a stand-up comedian so he knows that was his primary thing to be a stand-up comic so he just knew it was a matter of time before he can establish himself on him on his own merit to to make uh the fans come back and now they found him again. The the fans, the Stern fans, new fans, people, uh, O&A fans, like they're all coming to, to the Shuley Network now to watch that. They're watching Kevin Brennan. They're watching all these little Dabbleverse orbits that are happening. And it's great. You know, he, he's he's doing uh, bigger venues again. But for a time, you know, things get things get like slim. You have to pull yourself away from that brand. You got to get away from it. You got to reinvent yourself, which is the hardest thing you can possibly do. Dustin Diamond did it. He was working as a stand-up comedian. Unfortunately, he passed away from illness, I believe, right? Yeah, it was. A, I think he had lung cancer. He didn't smoke. He, had, he did other stuff, I'll tell you that much. But uh, it was oh, sure. uh, he had lung cancer, and he didn't Ooh. smoke. They and he dust, died within dust three for, weeks. For nothing. Dustin oh, yeah. Diamond. Um, <laughs> If you see a couple of photos with me and uh, Dustin, uh, his eyes are as wide as dinner plates. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, you know, I can see where that mustache comes from, too. You know, That's right. Uh, yeah, but I mean, but it's it's uh, one of those things where Stuttering John is still kind of clinging to the old brand, even though he says he's not. He didn't really get much. I mean, how do you how are you how are you a writer or an announcer for The Tonight Show and not put that into another huge gig like or at least parallel to something uh you know to the same to the same kind of gig you're a writer you're established you're an actor what happened and maybe the theory is he's not that great to get along with he's maybe maybe he takes advantage of people maybe he's not a great guy i mean he's as a narcissist you just don't think of anybody but yourself even if you don't want to you just can't help it it's all about how do you get how do you benefit from it so people tune people catch up on that and they go oh i got to get away from this dude and then opportunities go away and then all of a sudden you're you're begging for super chats you know on your 15th beer that doesn't help either you know if he's an alcoholic i won't i want him to get help i don't want to make fun of this guy anymore you know well, i want him <laughs> to get his shit together and live a great life well, that, and that, that's the thing is that when you realize how just he wasn't as like he did a bunch of stuff, but he wasn't great at the stuff. And you see this in different fields of people who do not transition into something else. Like you mentioned, Shuley. Shuley was a blackjack dealer. He be, did start doing stand up. He gets on Howard Stern, but he didn't stop doing stand up. He still did all of this stuff. He still right. was able to 
I'm not going to use the word dabble because it's now has a negative connotation, but he did do other things. So if one of those things that he is currently up to falls falls through or he leaves it, he can still jump right in. That's why I've always continued doing stand-up was if I'm working on my radio job, which I yeah, it's been two years since I've been on the radio, but I knew that if I got fired, which I did, I can go on stage that night and know that I'm still going to be fresh. And in fact, I probably have a lot more material I can go to and go to a different place that I normally wouldn't uh, uh, because of how I'm feeling at that current time. So it's just trying to continue transitioning with that. And that's what I noticed with a lot of the SNL people who leave SNL over a certain period of time. A lot of, I would say most of them in the last 10 years, you have no idea. If, if you showed them the cast of the 2013-2014 SNL season, you probably wouldn't recognize any of them. Like, what are they doing? It's like, oh, it's uh, the lesbian chick who did the Hillary Clinton impression. And what are they doing? It used to be you're starring in movies. You were, you were the star of SNL, Saturday Night Live. And now you're doing commercials for Verizon. And that's the best case scenario. Right. And some people have a good run. You know, some people are able to turn that into a good movie career. But movie careers, a lot of them only last two years, three years. You, you get hot. And then all of a sudden, they don't know the the business doesn't want to touch you. So I, where do I heard you go a, from there? I heard a Chris Kattan story. Speaking of people doing stand up yeah. who shouldn't be doing stand up, is the uh, comedy club that's just up the street from me, Hilarities Pickwick and Frolic, booked Chris Kattan for a full week. I weekend. saw that. I saw that. They, they never once uh, looked into how, what his stand up is like or anything like that. They just said to put on the marquee, Chris Kattan from Saturday Night Live. That's you remember Mongo? You remember all these characters? Yeah. I had the Roxbury. He goes up there. He doesn't have 15 minutes. He starts repeating jokes and repeating catchphrases he did on SNL. This is Thursday. He still has, I think, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. I don't right. know if he did a Sunday show, but he yeah. still had four more shows, and he's not even through a third of one show. And they quickly realized, oh, he has no material. They made Chris Kattan host the weekend. He hosted for local show. comics who were just happened to be in town looking for stage time. Yeah, they call that an all-star show, by the way. If you see <laughs> an like, all-star show, that's they don't have anybody to fucking put headlines, so they put all the local guys up. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, which is I, 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 I'm the king of the all-star shows, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just did one last month. Last month it was great. I love them. They're great. You know, you get to work with great comedians who are great comedians. They're they're regulars, and they're great. Com and this is why people stop going to comedy shows too, because of of fucking bullshit artists who decide they want to get into stand up comedy and they ruin it for people who've been working their asses off trying to do stand up comedy. So they're like, ah, I saw Chris Kattan last weekend. That sucks. I'm not going back. You know, it's like it's a it's hard enough to make a living doing stand-up comedy these days because there's so many outlets of entertainment. There's so many things to do. Your phone, I'll, I, I'm, dude, I'm on Instagram watching. People are geniuses on Instagram. I don't, I mean, there are, there are people who are way, way more talented than me doing Instagram and Twitter. Why, why do I even consider myself in the business anymore? These people are show business. You know what I mean? But then they're like, oh, they're so great on Twitter. Hey, I got 2 million fucking followers. I'm going to go tour. I know guys who are touring their Instagram in, uh, stars. They don't, they've never done stand-up comedy. They're touring because yeah. they're going to fill seats. Same thing with Chris Kattan. Oh, he was on SNL. Bookers don't care about anything except, except putting them a dollar in their pocket. 
comedy clubs, if, if people have to understand this, comedy clubs are bars with a stage. That's all right. it is. It's a That's glorified it. bar with entertainment. The way and- TV wants to sell you fucking sh- – the commercials are there for TV. Shows are there to sell things. Same thing as, as stand-up comedy. I mean, I've done I've done countless shows with Rich Voss, and late show half there's half the crowds there. There's the, right. half the crowd. It, it's it's uh fifty fifty, and then the rest of it is just empty seats. And I'm like, Rich Voss is one of the best comics this this country has seen in the last forty years. There's no reason he shouldn't be selling out every show. Yet right. a TikTok star who's never really been on stage before goes up there, bombs, but the comedy club looks and says. Oh, we did sell out. We did sell four shows uh, yeah. this weekend. So that's what they're going to do. I mean, it's, it's just how it is. It's funny because Joe Rogan said this is the golden age of comedy. I said, maybe for you, Joe Rogan, maybe <laughs> for guys who, who are killing it on, on podcasts and killing it and can, and can, you know, sell out four shows a weekend. But for the most of us who aren't like big names, it sucks. Like, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many shows that I've done that there's like 15 people in the audience. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? 15 people. And it's like, whether or not I'm a draw or not, because I'm not, I'm not a big draw. I'm hoping that the things that I'm doing content wise will someday constitute a big draw. Doing podcasts can't hurt. I'll, I'll tell you that, Tony. I don't know if you know that. Do a podcast. That's uh, what I've heard. That's what that's what I've heard. I've heard you you say it on a podcast. <laughs> You're supposed to like, part, you know, now this is the only way you're really getting any exposure. You know, there's no more Johnny Carson. There's no more. Nobody gives a fuck about Kimmel. Nobody gives a fuck about Colbert. Nobody gives a fuck about any of that stuff. It's where you, if you're on Joe Rogan, you're going to fucking be able to, you're going to start selling shit out. If you're on certain podcasts that these guys are all killing it, it's the golden age for these motherfuckers for sure. But for the rest of us, people are done. People are like fed up with it. So where, where do we go? You know, we just have to be ready for when it comes back for us. Really? Do. I mean, look at Tim. Experience. Look at Tim Dillon. Yeah. Tim Dillon is a perfect example. I know a girl who um, she lives in Long Island and was doing an, or, uh, I don't know if it was Long Island or Connecticut, but she was doing a, an open mic. She was working at a bar and she said, hey, it's Tuesday nights and off night. Can we do a, an open mic night? And Tim Dillon was there almost every week at this place. And now she's still working at that bar. And Tim Dillon is selling out theaters. He right. is his Patreon. It's like he's making a million bucks a month from it because he it was in the right place at the right time. And yeah. the whole uh, Rogan thing and returning to the comedy store and you're seeing the Burt's and the Segura's and um, the Ovans and everybody else blow up since then. It's it's honestly it's incredible. And when you finally achieve that level that Shane Gillis is now, and I, I'm sure you've done a number of shows with Shane, right? I've never, no, I've never worked with no. him. No, but I mean, like he's been, but he's been around the comedy but I've, scene. I've there. seen him, I've seen him around, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and Shane is one of those guys that just a couple of years ago, before SNL, he was like, oh yeah, he's a cool, he's a good club comic, he's solid, solid dude. Now, when you have your aunt and uncle would say, hey, have you heard of the Shane Gillis type of guy? Right. Or you're right. hearing Ben Shapiro quote his jokes on his podcast. You're like, wow, that you fought, you've achieved this level now. Right. You are now at that. And that's what the old Johnny Carson thing was to the point where your normie relatives will know who some comics are. They're like, when my cousin's asking me, he's like, what, Tony, what do you think of Theo Vaughn? I'm like, I've met him a few times. He's like, you met Theo Vaughn? Oh, my God. Right. And I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, I did, did that. Uh, Marcelo Hernandez is on SNL right now. I did. I, I can't tell you how many shows I did with him. 
Uh, now he's selling out the Tampa improv and he's selling out everywhere because he's on SNL and right. everyone's going to want to try to claim him. And I'm just thinking to myself, good for him. That's all I got to say. Right mm-hmm. place at the right time. Maybe my time, maybe my place was not at that right time. Maybe I still need to achieve that. Maybe I need to put in more work. That's the way I look at it. I'm, I'm, as you know, from my Twitter account, I always talk about a merit-based society. And if it means that I'm going on stage, I'm trying not to do the Oliver Anthony thing that, oh, well, the reason I'm not getting more stage time, the reason I'm not getting booked is I'm just a straight white guy. And that's not what they're looking at. I'm not, I don't feel that way anymore. I feel more, I have to put in the more work and I can, at the end of the day, if I'm still not getting on stage, I can at least be proud of what my work ethic is before I'm going on stage. It's, yeah. I, I, I don't look at it as a loser mentality anymore. I agree. And you shouldn't because it's all about working hard at stand up and then something else kicking that off. That's pretty much how it works now. Be ready for the opportunity that comes when you're in the right place at the right time. Because you might blow up on some show. God, you, you might have a viral video that, you know, that goes crazy, like Vic Benedetto. You know, that guy was a classic example of a guy. He's, I mean, he's in his well into his 50s, early 60s, struggling comic his whole life. He did that one viral video got to get eggs, got to get bread, got to get milk. That was a big thing for him. It blew up. It became one of the first viral videos out on YouTube. Guy's selling fucking theaters out now. That's why I've always respected Bernie Mac. Like people forget that Bernie Mac before that uh, deaf comedy jam where he says, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. He goes up there and slays. Everyone's like, wow, who's this overnight sensation Bernie Mac? It's like that overnight sensation took 15 years of grinding it out in Chicago clubs before he got on stage. So he was a well-seasoned comic before he got to that point. However, then you'd have, um, this is where I think some bookers who are smart enough that know enough about comedy as opposed to just filling seats will be a little bit more hesitant and booking a, a, a TikTok or an Instagram star just because they're a TikTok and Instagram star. I remember, do you remember this? It was about, I'd say maybe 2010, 2011. There was a guy named Rob Delaney. Yeah, I know and Rob. Rob Delaney was on Twitter and he had cheeky, silly tweets right. and was one of the first comics I remember had well over a million followers. Right. Because of that, he gets a TV show out of it, but he was booked to go on Jimmy Kimmel to perform stand-up. Right. And he's essentially doing his Twitter jokes that were bombing so bad that Rob Delaney's people kept pressuring Kimmel's people and ABC to not have those clips out there. <laughs> Because it was right. so bad. And of course, it for Rob Delaney, it was, well, you know, my materials just it must be over the head of all these hicks in the audience. It was, he said something along those lines. And it's like, dude, no, you you can't just be a silly Twitter person and think, oh, I guess I'm funny. I'm going to go on stage. That's the equivalent of here's the funny guy at the office. He always says something funny next to the water cooler. And it's right. like, yeah, that person doesn't go on stage and uh, gets on Jimmy Kimmel within six months. Yeah, it's told, it's it whether people like it or not or believe it, getting up on actual stage stages and working out jokes for years and grinding doing the actual stand up comedy oh I hate to call it art. The art but, form. The, but but, See, but artist, you know. Working as a stand up comedian, like get doing live theater like that. It's it's almost like I feel like that's the way theater actors feel or really well-established actors who tread the boards feel about comedians coming in and doing movies. 
Do you know what I mean? Like these guys were funny comedians. Now let me, yeah, but now I'm good. Now I can act. Now I'm an actor. It's like, no, you need to like practice acting too. You need to work as an actor. You should go to acting classes and you should really work hard at something to be a good actor. Look at Rodney and Caddyshack. Rodney can't act in cat. He's just doing his material. But he's doing, yeah, you're you're right. But I mean, he can't do Shakespeare. Do you know what I mean? Like he can't like, he can't do it. He's not going to be doing a serious drama. You know, even though he was good, he actually, he was good in, in a natural born uh, killers. killers. It was great performance. All right. Maybe that's a bad example, but, but, but he's doing Rodney though. That's the thing is he's, he's doing hey, Rodney. I'll kill you and I'll rape you. Well, he had to play. It looked like he was playing a real guy. Like he got dark with that character. Mm-hmm. But going back to what you were saying about Booker, Booker's and them getting it. There's, there are Booker's out there. Like I'll, I'll use the guy who books Poughkeepsie in New York, Cal Getter. He will give you a chance. He'll, he'll book you guys like Tommy Nicky from um the comedy works in saratoga springs they'll book oh, you. i know i know tommy i was gonna work yeah that yeah uh, anyways go ahead they, they, they'll book you like they, they don't they might not know you too well and they know you don't draw but they'll put you on stage and they'll let they'll give you a chance guys like james from uh uh governors in long island you know there's guys out there who love comedy who want to give comedians a shot who want to give them a chance to to show how how good they are so those are the guys, those are the unsung heroes of stand-up comedians. Whether or not you stink up that stage is on you. They're just giving you an opportunity and they're willing to take that risk in order to uh to see what, you know, to try to mold or at least, you know, uh, nurture a, a stand-up comic. I mean, he was giving Here's the thing. Like guys like Cal from Poughkeepsie, he was giving Mark Normand and Joe List opportunities when they had nothing. When they weren't, they didn't have a fucking audience. Now they come back there because he was the guy who gave them an opportunity to work there. Do you know what I mean? Like Norman comes back to laugh up because he he remembers that it was Cal that gave him a shot, and he loves and he and and the people treat the comedians right. And Mark's a great guy, so you know it's like he's a real he he gets it. There's some guys who just get it. They're grounded. They're they're down to earth. Whether no matter how much success you have. They still have that mentality like, hey, you know, this could all go tomorrow. I mm-hmm. better be great. I better I better have a good attitude. I'm doing what I love. This is a great opportunity. Let's have fun. Let's let's just squeeze it, squeeze all of it out. And then there's guys like John who go, What well, I want this. I'm not paying for this. That's mine. This isn't my right. You know, why are you a dick? Why are yeah. you being a dick? There's no reason for you to be a dick. Just be you be courteous. You always fucking I don't know about you, but I always tip the wait staff. That's a big one. Tip the waitresses. Don't be an asshole. Be kind. Be courteous. Say thank you. It's really not hard. And the rest of it's so easy. Once you have 45 minutes and you know how to do crowd work because you've been doing it for 20 years, it's a great job. It's unbelievable. It's, you're working. You're, fu- you've, you're off the grid, dude. You fucking you won. You're not going <laughs> nine to five somewhere every fucking day freezing your ass off in the yeah cold. you're working nine to nine forty five now you work forty minutes a week you work forty minutes a week maybe two maybe an hour a week I don't know I don't know maybe you're doing a couple of shows but still it's just, it's so god it's it's almost a scam yeah I, I 
I've worked with Dave Landau a number of times. And uh, the first time I worked with him, I was, I think I was still doing, it was, may have been an open mic night, like an amateur open mic night. And uh-huh. Dave was closing out doing the check spot. So as they were judging to see how everybody did for the show, Dave's up there doing just 20 minutes on a Tuesday. Dave Landau yeah. is there from Tuesday. He's doing Wednesday, Thursday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday at this, at our, the com- my home comedy club, The Funny Stop. And Dave was, you know, I, I, and then I started doing shows with him where there's six people in the crowd. Yeah. And I, I just kept looking out there as a young comic going, this guy is one of the funniest comics in the country. There's no reason that six people should be here. This mm-hmm. is not fair, whatever. But again, I've gotten over that feeling. And then you just put in the work and you're loyal to the people who helped put you up. So then when Dave is on Crowder's show, I, I pulled into the parking lot because I, was, I, I wasn't on that weekend, but I just wanted to go see him and see how he was doing. So I went to the second show. I couldn't park in the parking lot. I had to park down the street, down another street, because it was so packed of people lying out the door to meet Dave Landau because they loved him and they think he's really funny. They love him on Crowder's show. They love him on Kumi's show, whatever. They saw him on Gutfeld or whatever. And it was amazing to see somebody that would is at the point performing theaters yet says, I will take a pay cut to perform at a comedy club who put me up when no one else was. And I've always respected him for it. And I've always respected comics who do that. Like you said about Mark Norman. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, there's, it's the whole concept of, you know, being nice to the people on the way up, being nice to the people on the way down. It's, 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 you know, you get, you gotta, you, you can't, you can't be a dick in this business because everybody remembers. Everybody remembers. And also you should always be uh, thankful of the people that gave you the opportunities because it's such a, it is a hard business to break into that the hardest part of this business is just getting, getting into it, you know, being able to connections. Yes. Yeah. Like get getting, getting the opportunities to work. And once you get those opportunities and word of mouth goes all that stuff, whether you become big or not, at least there are certain clubs, you know, you can work every year. That'll put you up because you have a good rapport with them. You know, you, there's clubs, you know, you work the funny stop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know that you're good there because, you know, you're not a famous guy, but you, you, you're you good with the staff. And, and that's your that's almost like that's your home club. So you just have to you just have to know where you that it could all go away. You know, once you once that whole fame thing, you know, or or or. The fame thing goes away. No matter there's 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 a shelf life on it because sometimes it's less than other times. But for the most part, you got to strike while the iron's hot. You know, there's a there's a shelf life on it, and then that's you got to take every opportunity you can, and you have to really just squeeze the shit out, squeeze all the juice you can out of it. And maybe and in the meantime, you have other stuff going on. You have a podcast going on. You're writing. Uh, for people, you just every opportunity you can to like put your foot in another, get your another door open, is is a big deal. It's it's that's all part of your job. And again, it beats shoveling shit all day. Yeah, you know, it it beats. We've we've all worked crazy jobs like that. You know, minimum wage jobs and menial manual labor. People do it for fucking 40, 50 years. You know, and you're like, how do you do that? And it's like because they don't have they don't have that desire or dream to do what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with having that desire or dream. You're not being unrealistic. If you work hard at anything, you can achieve some sort of success. And that's a fact. 
Oh yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where I, I think, cause I'm in, I'm in two different ways of, I did a lot of gig work when I was in my twenties. I did DJ, I did comedy, I did all this stuff. And I think for a lot of people, they do get to their thirties and maybe forties and go, ah, man, I, I, maybe I don't have the grind anymore. Maybe I don't feel like you want to get a normal job. I, I feel when I ended up getting back into radio full time, that it, it was like, look, it's nice knowing that every two weeks I'm going to get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And that's how a lot of people drop off. It It is <clears throat> it is very imperative, I think, in your t- early 20s. Well, this, this is the big thing why you don't see bands in their 40s and 50s come out with great music anymore, because they don't have that passion anymore. The passion is when you're willing to just go, look, we'll we'll work for beer tonight. We'll work for pizza. If you give us 20 bucks, that gives us enough gas to get to the next gig in the next town. And we'll do the same thing over and over again. Somebody in their 40s does not have that anymore. They don't feel that anymore. They're like, I, I, maybe some people have that drive, but most people, I, I think comics are a little yeah, different I, because I you're not, it, comics are not lugging around equipment and they're not tuning guitars and doing no, sound. It's the same. You, you get, you know, you get tired of failure. You get oh, yeah. tired of you get tired. I mean, listen, man, I don't want to stay out till three in the morning at, at a club. I'm forty. I'm forty four years old. I'm gonna be forty five in, in a month. You know, I like to. I, I I would like to be able to go out and I still like to go to the city and hang out and go and go hang out in clubs. Am I grinding around till four o'clock in the morning? You know, I used to go out till four or five o'clock in the morning, go home the next day on the train. You know, spend the rest of the night drinking or or go into the diner with, with some people. That sounds it used great. To be my whole life. It's a great life. Listen, there's always oper- like when you're on the road as a comic, it's always fun to hang out with people and to go and and to you know after the show you go out grab a few drinks, you grab some food or whatever. But then you know you, you get to a certain age, you're like I'm just past my bedtime. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. You know, I get you know just just for physical, the sake of your physicality, you're, just, you're gonna wake up with a monster headache tomorrow. You're gonna feel like dog shit tomorrow. You got to get on a plane. And fucking travel for four hours. I mean, there's just certain, but 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 doesn't mean that you can't still be passionate about getting on stage and doing comedy. Look at Don Rickles; he was 90 years old, but he's still doing comedy. 95. He never retired. You're not supposed to retire with this business. You're just no. supposed to keep working until you drop dead. Yeah, really. I mean, that's that's what I heard about John Fox. John Fox, the the comedian that uh, I guess that he him and Otto Peterson were two of the comics that they said, uh, yeah, comics don't get an open tab anymore <laughs> at the bar. <laughs> they just shut it down. Like, we'll give you a half price, but uh, we can't do that. John Fox was there was a classic story. I, I who told it might have been Jimmy Walker told this to me. He said that John Fox was flying to Hawaii to do a gig, and his opener was also flying to Hawaii, but was in a different flight. And John's flight got there an hour before this other comic. And then by the time the comic got there, John Fox is already just blitzed out of his mind. Can't do the shows that (laughs) night. I hear it, man. Listen, some of these guys love the road. I I like the road. I like it. I like being in hotel rooms. I like traveling. I don't drink. I don't really drink. I don't I don't do drugs. I don't party. I like to smoke a little weed here and there. I like to have maybe one drink after the show or during the show. And then I go home and I watch TV or I call somebody. I'm not a part. I don't, I don't fuck people on the road. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I certainly don't fuck waitresses and stuff like that. I don't, it's, it's all a bad idea. Do you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't shit where you eat and uh, definitely don't try to like pick up like 
you know, uh, patrons of the show. That's never really a Chuckle great fuckers. idea either. Chuckle fuckers. You're you're there to work. In my opinion, you're there to work. That might that I don't have to hold that to everybody, but for me, I'm there to work. I want to go do my gig, get paid. It's my job. I want to go home. I want to go home and I want to I want to enjoy my personal life. I don't I don't this isn't my life 24/7. No, nope. but if if you want to make it your life this weekend, you got a couple of gigs there. Look at that. Yeah, well, it's a weekend thing. I, I like working on the weekends. I like having people enjoy. Their their leisure time is our work time, and it's fun. I, you it's know, when we, I was when I was younger, I used to hate that. I <clears throat> when I was a DJ, and I would I was a mobile DJ doing a bunch of stuff in clubs, and I'm watching everybody have a good time, and I have to work, and I was very resentful of that. I'm like, I don't want to work. I don't I don't want to work when everyone else is having a good time. And I felt that when in my teens, I was working for a catering company, and I was uh, I was doing a bunch of stuff. I was either washing dishes or serving food at weddings, and I'm watching people dance and have a good time, and I'm like, and I'm fucking working right now. I can't stay. Well, while the rest of the week, because there's no events on a Tuesday at 11 a.m. that I'm sitting on my ass while everyone's working and I'm going like, hey, you want to hang out today? It's like, uh, dude, I'm working till five. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, we'll hang out this weekend. Oh, I can't this weekend. I have to work, but. I guess the one good thing is when you do a gig like this and you and, and you're a working comedian or a musician or something like that, you can say, well, you can see me at work and you can see Anthony Zenhauser, Bob Levy, Shuley, Mike Morse coming up this weekend, Laugh It Up Poughkeepsie on uh, January 13th and uh, the Dojo of Comedy, Morse Plains, New Jersey on the 14th. And if you want to go check out everything there is to know about Anthony Zenhauser, go to The Zen Comic on Twitter. I still don't call it X. It's Twitter to me. And then there you have your YouTube page as well. And you were in a movie recently, too. Yeah, I was in a low-budget film called Rub, which is on Tubi. You can go check that out, T-U-B-I, Tubi. And uh, it was done by my my buddy, director Chris Fox. Uh, he did it in uh, our hometown of Peekskill. And he reached out for me to do a, a very small but very fun part. So you can check me out there. I'm the motel clerk, and uh, again, you had the mu- you had the mustache, right? I was the I was yeah. He said, "Can you look really gross?" I said, "Done." <laughs> I said, "I'm already there. I'm already like a three quarters of the way there. Let me just you know not shave my head for a few months." And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, great, great movie idea. It was very rough around the edges. I mean, it was very low budget, but it won a bunch of awards. And uh, that's great. It was great. Yeah, it was a great. I love. I mean, I want to do more of it. I love being in movies and stuff like that. Again, am I an actor? No, but I can play a certain part of myself for the. I can be, you know, funny in front of a camera, and most comedians can, and that's great. That's a great little like uh, double dip for stand-up comedians. Is that you know? Hey, can you play? Can you, uh, you know, can you play a funny guy? Like, yeah. You know, because stand-up comedy, you know, gives you a lot of opportunity to 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 improv on on uh, the spot. It's all you know, all of that crowd work and hosting that you do in the beginning gives you that that skill to just be like, you know, think of ideas as things are happening. You can go. That's why I noticed some of the great SNL cast members are comics. Like when people yeah. really go back in time, they say, well, you know, I really liked Weekend Update with uh, Norm McDonald's. Like, of course you did. Yeah, because Norm and Dennis Miller were two comics because they had yeah. great timing. Oh, great I like that Adam Sandler. Sandler's a comic. David Spade's yeah. a comic. Rob Schneider is a comic. Uh, 
you know, some yeah, of them have become, become comics since then, like Tim Meadows, who actually wasn't was pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. Some guys, some guys have it, but again, it's all about having that ability to be to have that that comedic sense. You know, some guys are just some people are just they can't do it without other people being there. You know, like the the improv people sometimes the they need yeah. four or five people there. I don't see Sherry O'Terry that much anymore. I'm sure she's working. I'm sure she's doing a lot of theater. But I mean, it's like that. Some people are theater people, and some people are stand up comedy people, and they're two different animals. I think we saw that with the UCB uh, <laughs> last few years, where they just really could not transition, and then they were like, "Oh, well, we have a diversity quota where we can only have a certain." It's like, okay, then, all right, well, I guess uh, let's see. I'm in New York, anyways. I guess I'll go to the stand tonight. Things are getting weird in Hollywood too, man. The past few years, everything is starting to eat itself, and who knows where show business is going to be in the next couple of years. I think Hollywood's going to be dismantled at some point really well, the, soon. And it's the going to writer be all... strike proved that I thought the writer strike, I thought COVID the lockdowns and the writer strike were two things that really went to prove that the, a lot of what we grew up with consuming, we don't really need that much anymore. Like during COVID, for example, yeah, there was a plethora of shows on Netflix and everything, but by the time you got to 21, you watched everything and you're like, Okay, well, d- d- doesn't matter to me. And then when the writer strike happened in 2023, I don't know many people who said I miss it unless you were an actual writer yourself. I had a writer on the podcast, one of the co-writers of Dumb and Dumber, and of course he was outside in the picket lines and talking about AI replacing TV and movie writing and everything. Sure. That if you're going to do a script for Star Wars, that you just fart a bunch of Star Wars jargon in there, and you could probably make a pretty good Star Wars movie. And they're concerned about it, but I think your normal person who lives in the middle of the country, they didn't think two things about the writer's strike. They, they couldn't care less. No. And I think we just have, because of YouTube, because of podcasts, because of uh, just so many different options for entertainment now, it's not as necessary. And when that big writer's strike happened in 2007, 2008, where you're like, uh-oh, all of our live shows are going to be stopped, who really missed them when they were stopped in 2023? I mean – the voiceover industry is going away. AI is taking over that. Uh, you know, those got th- those those artists are done because it's they, they have to. They, they're fighting it right now. There's some. They're, they're trying to fight it with some sort of union regulations to to keep their jobs because people are just going to take their their voices at some point and just keep using them without paying them. It's just all going to be this. It's just, with with the way that AI is too. They don't even need actors anymore. They don't need comedians. Are going to be all this stuff is going to become obsolete. Stand up comedy, uh, you know, radio. I mean, I feel like that everything that we can do, as far as an art form, you know, uh, create it creatively is just going to be done by generate by artificial intelligence. It's going to be generated by a bunch of supercomputers. So. You know, yeah, I, th- I think if we're, if we're in this, if we're in this business, don't, don't, if you want to get into podcasting and you want to do all this, uh, don't expect to make a lot of money. Let's just no. say that if you're doing, you have to do this because you have a passion for it. That if you, if you're looking to make a living because you do a podcast, uh, the, the odds are really, really stacked against you. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but just say they're stacked against you if you think you're going to make a the terrific, Theo Vaughn and Tim Dillon living. And uh, I also don't like when you said the voiceover artists are going to go away because uh, uh, I too was in a movie in 2023. 
vo- voicing something in a short That's film. right. Dead Air. I heard that. I've heard of that. And uh, yeah, I, I had a, although this Tony Mazur on IMDb is not the same Tony Mazur as the one who you're hearing from right now, because uh, uh, I'm not in the Screen Actors Guild or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> that uh, I do have a quick cameo of a radio voiceover in the movie Dead Air. So uh, I don't know when that's going to be made available for people, but. No, I mean, you do have a great radio voice. I mean, you should be doing more video games and stuff like that. And then, but, but then you go, okay, so how do I get into that? You exactly. Know, how do I, you know, it's, it's such a super saturated business that, you know, it's like, almost like they, they, they're trying to tell you we have enough people. We yeah, really. really. People. Or, or they look at, or what they do is they look, they say, Hey, this Tony Mazur has a pretty good voice. And they look at my Twitter history and they say, yeah, probably not a good idea to hire. Him. I mean, I think I lost a couple of jobs that, that way too, but <laughs> that comes with learning. And then you, you, from there, you learn to be a little less uh, opinionated. Exactly. You start, <laughs> or, or you start calling them other things like basketball Americans. Right. Right. Or you just, you, you, you keep, well, you keep your opinions to yourself. You're probably a lot better. Just treat every, treat every uh, social media, uh, you know, social media, uh, uh, what do you call it? Outlet like uh, Thanksgiving, you know? Oh, I, oh if you heard <laughs> the Mazer family at Thanksgiving, then it's uh, my, my Twitter account is, oof, it's, it's, it's child's play compared to my family. But, you know, it's like this is a car dealership. And then, and then all of a sudden your uncle starts, you know, getting drunk and talking about Trump. And you're like, oh, oh maybe this isn't, you know, this isn't a way to sell Fords. Or maybe it is. I don't know. It but, could be. But, yeah, it's. It's it's just the way it is now. You have to just kind of keep your mouth shut and and play nice. You don't necessarily have to be opinionated either way. And really, who wants to hear what what artists have to say about politics? Like, who the fuck cares? I don't, never understood that. Why musicians have to tell you their political beliefs? Who gives a fuck? Who cares? Yeah, it's um. What what I like it's funny with me is that I've my personality on Twitter where I'll just I'll just talk shit I don't care I don't give a fuck I'll, I'll I will go up there and just trash people just for just because I'm bored and I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and it, has it cost me work has it cost me jobs yeah of course it has but you know what at least at the end of the day I know that I've kept my integrity that. integrity doesn't pay but at least i know that i'm the real deal that what you see on your that twitter account of mine and then you talk to me in real life i'm a lot nicer in real life but i still am that same person so um you know that's just just stupid it is stupid it's absolutely (laughs) dumb but but at one time people were like oh tony like i don't agree with you on your whatever you're talking about right now but uh boy are you uh you have the balls to say what I'm like. Yeah, I do. And then as soon as Trump came down the escalator, they're like, block, unfollow. Right. But that's the thing. It's like, <laughs> it's like, uh, I think the pendulum is swinging the other way where people just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> I, I think we're getting back to that level of just, I don't care. Don't, don't even bother to tell me, you know, again, it's like separate the art from the person and you're so much better off. You know, I oh, yeah. love, I love Polanski films. You know what I mean? The Cosby not so Show. Much a, not so much of, yeah, the Cosby Show was great. I'll watch that today. I know what he did. It's not him I'm watching. It's Those, it's are, those are great Penn State teams back in the 90s. Right. That's a great hoagie. He made a great hoagie. Amazing yeah, he defense. Made, he made a rape, but it's a great hoagie. <laughs> For real. It's just, it's just, come on. It's like you have to separate the talent from the horrible, shitty person that's attached to it. Because 
if we really looked inside the lives of a lot of people we liked, we probably wouldn't like anything because that's well, the way it is. We're all, we're all horrible people. Exactly. And uh, that's why I want to say I'll promote a gig right now. I'm doing a show with Vince Champ. <laughs> I, I got to get out of here. I'll see you later. <laughs> Vince Champ. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on here on the podcast again. Uh, go see Shuli and Bob and, and Zen and, and Mike over this weekend. And uh, yeah, go check them out on social media, the, the Zen comic and on YouTube. And yeah. I really appreciate you com- coming on the podcast. I'll have to have you back on again. We'll we'll talk more shit. We'll have, we'll have more of a time. And uh, yeah, go to the, uh, subscribe to the Shuli Network on YouTube. Become a become a member. Uh, at least like and subscribe. We do a morning show every day called the BS Show, Monday through Friday, and we do uh, Uncle Rico Show, which is a, a we we poke fun at a weird old drunk guy uh, called Stuttering <laughs> John Melendez. We do that five days a week, sometimes six, most of the time six. But it's a, it's a great time. Uh, we all have a great time, and uh, hopefully you'll be there soon. I think you're great. Uh, I love doing radio with you, and I'll definitely have on my show, uh, Late Again Zen, which I do. Uh, I'm going to be doing every week again. So, well, thanks, thanks again for coming on, and thank you, folks, for listening and watching the podcast. Again, uh, my name is Tony Mazer. Go to Patreon.com/slash Tony Mazer if you want more of my material. If you want to hear my nonsense over and over and over again, four to five times a week as well for just three bucks a month. But if you just want to check it out and dabble for free, go to, um, I have a YouTube page, rumble page, and I thank you fine folks for watching and listening. And I'll be back with you next week with another free episode of the check your brain podcast. Bye everyone.